Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands. My, co-co- my co-host this week is Frederick News Post photographer and avid craft beer fan, Dan Gross. Hi, everybody. And returning into the studio to help us understand what's going on in Annapolis is the president of the Brewers Association of Maryland and the chief marketing officer of Flying Dog, Ben Savage. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. So I'm, I'm hoping you can help us understand the maybe the big setback that Maryland beer was uh, given in the past week. Yeah, well, I think um, I think the last time I was on, we walked through more or less the three bills that yeah, kind we, of existed. We, we talked about 1420, the Modern Brewery Act yeah. that you, was being supported. Uh, 13, HR, <coughs> House Bill 1391, which was the Guinness Bill. Right. Um, and then House Bill 1283, which was bad but then became much worse. Yeah. So um, I think last time I was on, I talked about 1420 as being um, the sort of the brewery initiated bill. Um, And that's still sort of sitting over there in the house and we don't expect it to move at all. Um, And things were, uh, I think we were were feeling pretty optimistic about its chances. Um, And then likewise, the, uh, Baltimore delegation had really gotten sort of strongly behind the uh, Diageo bill, um, which still at the time was specific to a zip code. And then they amended it so that it would be Baltimore countywide. And then we had actually in that process joined sort of joined forces uh, with Diageo to create then a Senate bill on the other side that would be statewide. So it was sort of really feeling uh, at the time pretty good about the prospects of I've really, you know, all the breweries in Maryland teaming up with with uh, Diageo to kind of um, make sure that if any uh, restrictions were lifted on on premise sales, that uh, every brewery in Maryland would benefit from that. And so I think at the time we were feeling fairly optimistic, knowing that anything can happen in Annapolis. And then I think when we were talking, I had we may have even joked at the time that there was this other bill sort of floating out there that, that we called the rollback bill and it was 1283 and you know i i wish i had more answers for you other than at some point uh the legislature uh took it upon themselves to rewrite that bill uh offer a a lot of different amendments into uh, that bill's structure and basically put it on a fast track to get to get through the house and as soon as we were brought uh, up to speed on that um, we were surprised to say the least, all the breweries were surprised. It wasn't, you know, in, in its a later form, wasn't a bill that really even existed. They had just used 1283 as a vessel to get someone's agenda, uh, through the house and it's still unclear whose that was. Um, I can tell you the brewers had no input into the construction of that bill. And, um, you know, we fought like hell last week and, and reached out to everyone we could and, um, you know, even with that sort of uh, outrage, uh, it still happened to make it through the House uh, 139 to 0. Uh, so now we move over to the Senate and we've got um, a bill that came from basically out of nowhere um, that has a lot of bad things in it. And we have a couple other bills still floating out there. And so uh, maybe not as optimistic as I was two or three weeks ago when we first talked. Um there's still some options, but um, 
it's it just seems like uh with every day that passes that um uh, the state uh, doesn't feel like sticking up for for our local breweries so and that's a little discouraging now has there been any sense that the senators feel differently because from my understanding senator bates and senator young are very supportive of the maryland craft breweries and their business in general do you think they will be your saviors uh i i'm very hopeful i think that um we have a lot of friends in the senate and you know it's it's not lost on them that you know there's there's likely a brewery in everyone's district uh and um, hopefully we're being vocal enough to say that this is bad legislation, that we don't support it. Uh, we have amendments we're proposing to it. Um, there's better bills out there that we'd rather them support. Um, but you know what? It's a complicated issue, and it's hard to even explain the dynamic of it to people who are interested. Um, and what we have to our benefit in the Senate is that we have a little bit more time. Everything seemed to kind of happen rushed in the house and it kind of just went through. Um, we even another day or another week to be able to coach people through what the core issues are, why we don't like this bill. Um, that, that leaves me a little bit of hope in the Senate. We have a little bit more time, um, that hopefully we won't be blindsided like we were in the house. Ben, could you just, we kind of buried the lead there because could you just tell us what the bad stuff is in this bill now what what changed to make this go from okay to bad well generally um i think there's a sense that uh, whenever we ask for something uh to be a little less restrictive that for whatever reason uh our opposition feels like that needs to come with some more restrictions <laughs> and so um some other more you know different restrictions and so I think fundamentally, I think the, I think the Brewers Association, you know, we're just to the point now where we just don't uh, we don't feel like uh, we have so much that we we have to give up stuff that we fought hard for just to get uh, some other things that that may be uh, more representative of the reality of what craft beer is today. And so when you talk the experiential um, aspect of the industrial tourism, uh, when you talk about how that stuff's growing it's going to change, you know, from year to year, potentially. And we're just trying to update the laws as we see the reality playing out. And we don't feel like those requests have to be met with giving up other things that we fought for. For instance, in this bill specifically, I answer your question, there is uh, some hours restrictions. So our classified breweries right now, um, the hours are tied to the license that they have in that local jurisdiction. So, um, Flying Dog, for an example, or Attaboy or Rockwell, all these class fives, they have a class D license, class DBR license in, in the state, and they're, they're, they're able to be open at whatever hours are allowed by the county. So in this county, I believe it's 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. most days, and I think Sundays, I don't know, it's 10 or 11, maybe, uh, 11 a.m. to 2 a.m., maybe. Um, and that was that was what we had had you know we had all agreed to um, three or four years ago when we passed the class DBR license for on premise for class fives. 
Um, this bill carries with it now that we can, you know, it's stating that if you're going to get any semblance of a barrel increase on premise that you now can't be open past 9 p.m. Um, and though not all breweries are even open past 9 p.m., we do have a, a more than a handful that are. And that's that's a bad part of this bill. That's, again, giving us something and taking two other things away. Um, there's also aspects to um, the contract brewing, which is an interesting thing, which could really impact breweries' flexibility in, in where they produce their beer uh, or some of their beer and whether that can be served in the tasting room, which will impact some of our breweries uh, more than others. It also impact potentially collaborations where, you know, if you brew a beer with somebody, you can't, if we were to brew a beer, like we brewed a beer for... Uh, family Tree. Uh, well, Family Tree, yeah. Um, or Jailbreak, we partnered up with them for the restoration of Ellicott City. So a fundraiser to restore Ellicott City after the horrendous flood, um, that beer was brewed at jailbreak. And of course, you know, we brewed it together, but it was under jailbreak's license. And I think this law starts to chip away at our ability to maybe have an event related to that beer at, at flying dog. And I think that that's just, um, do you, do you have a overreach. sense, do you have a sense why that was even snuck in? Like what, what was trying to be accomplished by that, addition to the bill i my hunch is that uh it's it's likely there's some opposition to what beer uh will be able to be which will be able allowed to be able to sold be able to be sold at uh the guinness brewery and i think if you look at guinness portfolio it's not not too hard to stretch to see wh why they may be concerned about what beers might be offered in the tasting room at that at that experience so I think that's the, the the impetus behind that portion of the bill. But again, written with no regard to what's currently happening in Maryland. Um, there's a lot of reporting. Uh, oh, wait. So just a, yep. probably they don't want because the Guinness draft isn't they're not they're not planning on brewing that there. So you know, they, it's probably but better, it's all speculation. It's probably a so. better question for Guinness. But like, I mean, my hunch is that has something to do with with where that came from, because that historically hasn't been an issue in Maryland with Maryland breweries. But again, yeah. <laughs> uh, why, you know, why is that coming to a head now with, with Maryland beer? So there's also a ton of reporting. The comptroller seems very upset about all this uh, bureaucratic reporting about where your barrel limit you have to report every October. And it's just, again, not yeah, that if you're at 80%, then you have to apply for uh, yeah. a, an increase, but by only by a thousand. And yeah. Well, so then they do in this bill, they do allow us to increase our barrel limit to 2000 barrels um, on premise, uh, which is not uh, half of what we're asked for at four. Um, but there is a safety valve of uh, you can brew and you can serve another thousand barrels if you get permission from the comptroller. Um, but that beer has to go through your wholesaler. So we're talking about a scenario where on the 2001st barrel, uh, it, it literally has to get on a truck uh, at our loading dock, go two miles down the road to premium of, of Maryland, uh, where they'll mark it up and sell it back to us and we can serve it in our tasting room. So, uh, you know, I just, um, 
it's great talking to people who aren't so embedded in it because it's refreshing to finally see the, well, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But when you're in Annapolis, it's like, these are the conversations you're having. Like, well, what if we did this? What if we, you know, when you start talking limits, it's like, well, what are you at now? Is anybody bumping up against it? These are all the language that the, the um, comments we hear. And it's, you know, we, we think they're most states don't have a limit and that's, that's where the conversation should start. And it never does. And, we always seem to get a little bit outmaneuvered in some way. So, um, yeah, so then there's that. And then there's also another thing that, that's in there that's a little bit, uh, it may not be caught by, by many uh, who aren't in the know, but when we passed the Class 5 on-premise license way back in the day, we made sure it was a shall. Uh, the, the local liquor board shall issue a, a on-premise license. Uh, brewery license to uh, serve for on-premise and um, in this proposal they're changing it to may which then s subjects um, your ability attaboy rockwell anyone um, it's just not a given you'll get that license uh, and then we could start talking about you know how hard it is in some regions to get an alcohol uh, liquor permit uh, there's population quotas and everything else that factors into that and just really feel like that's a step in the wrong direction for us and um, those are probably three or four of the main main there's a little stuff in there like you know, we're able to sell 288 ounces to go uh, per visit uh, and they're changing it to per day so again just a little another little chip um, so if you happen to come by you know twice in a day you know, that's that's not prohibited. Again, just not fundamentally. How, how do you even keep track of that? Well, it, <laughs> it is borderline. It's seemingly unenforceable. But again, it's just all seems like posturing to, um, you know, it's this mode where if we're going to if we're going to let you have something, we got to make sure that we restrict everything else you're doing. We're going to make you feel it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so that's why, you know, maybe. Maybe that's why we weren't involved in writing this bill because we would have never written a piece of legislation like this. <laughs> how do you how do you see this uh, affecting the 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 small breweries? Uh, I, I guess there's something like 67 Maryland breweries right now. Is that right? You probably know better. Yep, 67 with yeah. probably another 10 in planning. And and so that's an expansion that's been fairly rapid. And I wonder what sort of effect you think this. Uh, kind of legislation might have on on the expansion that's been going on you know will it slow it down will it stop it yeah i i think it will i think it, it may not go to quite a, a snail's pace but i think that it becomes a little bit tougher to get in when now you're you're there's liquor board hearings for your permit potentially now you're worried about your business model because um, there's some contract brewing element that you didn't really factor in before. Um, I think it's detrimental. And I think, I think you know, you mentioned 67 breweries. Uh, but I've long argued there's, there's been that growth despite Maryland law, not because of Maryland law. And, you know, I think we should be tracking 150 breweries. And the fundamental difference between... Uh, the Brewers Association and our opposition is that um, I view that as a fantastic thing, and and they they don't. I view that as a rising tide raises all ships. I view that as more breweries means more beer sales for everyone, and um, I just 
I, I think we're in disagreement about that. So, yeah, I do think it will slow it down even more than it has. I mean, cities like Denver has over, you know, over 200 breweries in Denver. I think that's a great thing. And I think one, I, I believe you've said it in the past, and I know um, the great people at Attaboy, this is one of the things they've been saying is that one of the worst parts of this is that they're taking away what was already there. They, they're, they're taking laws that are there that people are making business decisions on starting businesses, in their case, moving across the entire country to open a business in Maryland only for them a few months later to be told that th- their business is going to have a huge setback. Yeah. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? And if, um, you know, if I were at a boy, I, I would ask our house delegates, uh, particularly in this region, like what, you know, what prompted you to vote for this bill? I mean, it's like either they're, um, either they don't understand it or, um, they're not asking the right questions or something else is, is happening in Annapolis that, you know, I think my biggest frustration, uh, this is my fifth year now dealing with, with, uh, issues in Annapolis is that it's a very, um, it's not a very public sort of arena. I think most of the deals that get brokered are, are backdoor politic type deals. And I think that it's really hard for us to function in that arena because, um, you know, uh, a lot of breweries are, are good old fashioned, honest, wholesome, uh, upfront people. Uh, they're entrepreneurs and they're entrepreneurs first who want to do, do right by their business. And, you know, we always seem to run into a buzzsaw when we get down there. Uh, there are other factors that I've been reading about. Uh, one of them is the, the other businesses that do gain when breweries are there and expand. And, and for instance, you know, out on the horizon, people like Tom Bars at Milk House working with the University of Maryland in hop production and, and mm-hmm. development. And the idea that some farmers are thinking about growing grain that might be used in beer yep. to be locally sourced materials mm-hmm. and, and maybe a, a, a facilities that can, can malt that grain. Uh, so is that something that, that you you see as a as a factor in this long term yeah i mean i think anytime that you over overly restrict the business i think it has a ripple effect and you know um we have many great partners even at, at, you know at flying dog we work with a lot of hop farmers and uh you just don't want any 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 arbitrary law to get in the way of what kind of partnerships you're able to build and i think there are a lot of farmers gearing up to grow more hops i think we finally have a malting facility in virginia which is great um but even beyond that i mean we work in oyster recovery we work i mean we're we're embedded in the community and um it's just frustrating that you 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 feel like you constantly have to explain your your value to the community and it seems to consistently fall on deaf ears um yeah it's unfortunate so and it seems like the general consensus is that the main opposition to the advancement of what was originally called the modernization of brewery modernization bill, which and is the wholesaler and retailer lobby or a, whatever the official name is. Mm-hmm. So, but then like uh, Naptown Pint Pint had an article about like an anonymous editorial from a 
someone who worked at a wholesaler, how they agree that what's good for a brewery is great for them. Um, have you had any conversations with other like individual restaurants or wholesalers? Do you get a sentiment that they are against the, um, the expansion of brewery hours and tap room availability or is there some kind of disconnect between the people who are actually seeing what's happening and the lobbying groups and people further removed from what the ins and outs of what's actually happening? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's hard. I think change is hard. And I think that a lot of these laws have been in place for decades, many, many decades. And I think that, I think it's just a fundamental disagreement that we believe when you allow breweries, even if initially they sell a lot of the vast majority of their beer on their premise, uh, as that brand grows, at some point they're going to have to get into, likely they'll have to, if they keep growing, they'll have to get into the regulatory system that we have. And, and that's a great thing for, for us. Uh, you know, specifically Flying Dog, we we would not exist without our, our wholesale partners and our retail partners. But at some point, we just, I think we just disagree that that kind of experiential brand building uh, is really helping everyone. And you look at like in Asheville, um, and if you, tr- there's data to support, you know, Asheville um, prior to New Belgium, and Sierra Nevada moving to Asheville, uh, uh, total beer sales in, in the uh, metropolitan area of Asheville were tracking below uh, national averages. And since those two bigger breweries moved, and likely in that time many other breweries popped up in Asheville, uh, it's tracking well above now. And it's arguably known as one of the best beer towns in America. And so that, that's really what we're trying to have play out and i think our opposition just generally disagrees with that now it was funny to finally hear from a wholesaler and i was i was pretty shocked because you don't usually hear um you know what we do is very consumer centric if you were if you were to have a referendum on how whether breweries should have tasting rooms and you should be able to go to a brewery and have a beer I'm pretty sure the constituency in Maryland would vote favorably for that. So it's very pro-consumer, and the, the other side is is maybe not. So you don't hear a lot of of their advocacy in in the public forum. And so when I saw it was a letter from a wholesaler, I was like, "Wow! All right, well let's let's hear the argument." And it turns out it's actually an argument in our favor. So, I mean, it was kind of like a funny situation where you finally hear from a wholesaler uh, publicly, and it's um, it's anonymous, and it it it's totally supporting our argument that the rising tide raises all ships. And I think that that was pretty telling. Um, you know, I wish it wasn't anonymous, I guess. Um, but you know, I was probably an act of self-preservation. Yeah. And I w- and it just seems ludicrous that especially flying dog or heavy seas or the, the larger breweries in Maryland would want to do anything that's going to hurt retailers and wholesalers. I mean, I can, I assume that the percentage of beer that you sell in a tap room as opposed to what leaves your brewery in trucks is not even comparable. Yeah, and I think the partners that get it, um, the partners that really 
um, really buy into craft beer. They understand that what happens at the brewery, what we do at the brewery, the experience we create at the brewery for any brewery um, enhances their ability. To, I mean, it enhances their ability to sell our beer. Uh, you, I mean, you can just go to JoJo's. I mean, I think we have, you know, seven seven tap panels right now at JoJo's maybe. And, um, and you can always reliably get a bloodline on nitro. Yeah, bloodline nitro. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure if you talk to Joanne, I'm pretty sure she's like, you know what? You do what you need to do to grow your brand at the brewery. And, and she, uh, I think she uh, capitalizes on that in a good way. And we're great partners. And she uh, does a great job. It's a great bar. And there's hundreds of bars like that uh, in, in, the, in the state, in the uh, thousands in the country. And I think those are the people that really support this cause. And, um, you know, hopefully maybe we just need to do a better job of getting getting them involved. So so I admittedly barely understand the legislative process in Maryland. So I called our political reporter to have her explain things to me. And one of the things she said is that from her perspective, why uh, House Bill, I forgot the number, the horrible one mm-hmm. made its way through is because if it hadn't by Monday, it nothing would have made it through and then it would have been just as bad. Yeah. Does, so do you still, does that still give you hope or is the fact that it was so dramatically changed and then passed unanimous, unanimously, is that enough of like, we should still be very worried about what the, and outcomes going to be yeah i'm very worried for the end game here and i think that mainly it's because uh in its current form um i'd rather not do this bill uh than to have it go through um what 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 would you like in a bill i mean you know it seems kind of like an obvious question kind of a dumb question Mm -hmm. but if you were had been involved in writing this legislation what would you have done well, I was involved, and we wrote fourteen twenty. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's the example. Yeah, I mean, it, it it still was a little flawed in that you know it it's tough to get all these classes um, on paper down into basically we were creating one class, and I think what I what I had mentioned to Chris last time is that what we were trying to do is it, the reality is different than it was ten years ago with craft beer, and we wanted to take a look at what the environment looked like and what what are people doing what there's growlers and crowlers and tasting rooms and events and farmers markets and farm breweries and people growing hops. And it's like totally different than it was 15 years ago. Given that landscape, what, what law would you write to allow for, for that to exist? Do a reset. Right. Make sense. We start over. And that's what our attempt was at 420. Now it was a bit of a phased approach where we think, you know, we had to sort of Jimmy rig it, uh, in the hopes that when it, it when and if it passed, we would come back the next year and then l- legitimately write it cleanly so that it didn't look like we were keeping the old classes and starting this new class. And that was the goal. And, um, you know, I'd say it's, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't look like that's going to go anywhere. And that's unfortunate. I thought we had a lot of support. We had 50 sponsors on that bill. Um and uh, I don't think it's going to make it out of the House. And right now we look, we're setting our sights on 1172 in the Senate, which is the statewide bill that we worked with on Diageo that uh, all it really does is raise the barrel limit for on-premise sales. And there, there are hours there are in, in that in yeah, 1172. It, it would correct. restrict. Um, so, again, a concession that 
I think a lot of our members were willing to make was that, look, you know, a lot of our places don't have any interest in being open until two. And so if, if we could put a reasonable cap where you're open till 10 on Sundays through Thursdays and open till midnight on Fridays and Saturdays, that if that concession was suitable, that, that we would take that in order to get the barrel limit increased. And that basically is that bill. And that's really what Diageo came to the table with as well. And that's a very clean bill. It doesn't do any other harm and it still exists in the Senate. And I think that, I think on, on some level, we're probably going to fight 1283 until it dies and, and try to get behind 1172. So now that we've established that absolutely uh, 1283 or as Liz Murphy commented, we should just call it uh, House Bill Voldemort. Um, <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, it's bad for craft beer. Mm-hmm. It's bad for business in Maryland. What should people do now to help secure the future of Maryland beer? Should they be contacting senators to have that amended? Or should they be calling in support of SB 1172 yeah, that's a great question because um, you know, we're in a bit of a middle middle zone right now, and it, you probably caught me on a on an odd day where I'd probably know a little bit more on that on about eight o'clock tomorrow morning. But I'd say that, given the current dynamic, I think eleven seventy two is a cleaner bill, and I think I I prefer to to deal in affirmatives, and so to me it's cleaner that if you call your senator or email your senator to support a bill uh 1172 is the bill to support uh i think it's a lot more complicated and a lot hairier if you're trying to call your senator to say i'd like you to maybe amend this and that and this of 1283 because it's just such a pile of you know what like voldemort voldemort um I think I'd like to stay in the affirmative. I think I think our our tactics are going to go after 1172 and, and try to push that home. And and then, you know, if that ends up passing, then we've got a it doesn't have a cross file in the house, so we got to go back to the house and see if they like that bill. So, a lot to play out here, and it's probably going to all happen in the next 10 days. Um, but I'd say that I I prefer to deal in the affirmatives instead of shed light shed even more light on what I think is just a, a horrible piece of legislation. So your call to action would be craft beer fans of Maryland, contact your senators, Maryland senators, to support SB 1172. I think SB 1172, yes. I think that is a cleaner bill. It accomplishes everything we we wanted originally in, um, uh, well, not everything. It accomplishes the main point that was uh, we were trying to get with 1420, and it does it in a way that doesn't give up. Uh, anything for our, our 67 members. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming in and giving us an update. Um, is there anything happening at Flying Dog that you'd like to let everyone know about? Well, Friday we have Tom Selicon. <laughs> so, you know, all the politics aside, we, we do have quite a, uh, an, a very odd event. Uh, everyone loves a good mustache. <laughs> That's right. So now beyond that, I mean, we got Craft Brewers Conference coming up. Uh, in a couple weeks here in dc so we're getting ready for that and um yeah i'll uh love to come back on and then talk shop when uh there's not this swirl and stress around i think april 10th might be when the governor signs everything into law so hopefully by then we'll we'll be able to toast something sounds good thank you thank you
The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.